Father God, thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity to come together um, to be with one another as we study your word. And we ask, Lord God, that you would um, give us an opportunity to just see all that it is that you have in our midst for us. Um, we bless you for it in your name. Amen. All right. Well, as we continue the rest series this evening, we are going to be opening up our Bibles to Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 35. And the title of today's message is Peace Be Still. Mark chapter 4. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus speaking, let us go over to the other side. I'm just going to stop right there and help us all gather our framework for where Jesus is when he says that. Here is the region of Galilee in Jesus' day. This is where he hangs out. Capernaum, or Capernaum, meaning the village of Nahum, is right on the north portion of the Sea of Galilee, the northwestern portion. And that location right there is where the religious Jews lived. In fact, it was a huge seat of religious uh, Judaism and education. And so when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, as he says to his disciples, he is here and he means that he wants to go here. Now the Decapolis is the location, it's called Ten Cities Decapolis, and it's the location where the Gentiles lived, where the Romans were, where there's a totally different presence than religious Judaism. Instead, it's the other side, right? The other side of the tracks, the other side of the lake. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And all of the disciples have to be thinking, but my mom doesn't let me go to the other side, right? I'm supposed to say on this side. But so instead, Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, we'll continue our reading, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, or peace, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Maybe something like this. This is a nice picture. All of a sudden still, all of a sudden calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. Notice the storm has stopped and they're terrified. And they're terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's stop our reading right there and just have a little bit of a conversation of what's happening. So oftentimes we have these pictures. This one Jesus seems to be posing for the statue in Brazil. But other than that, like, look at all these amazing, you know, Jesus just stops. This one, it's got a nice pirate theme on the bottom. It's very nice. And as Jesus is there, peace be still, we have this big picture in our mind of this raucous, furious waves, craziness happening. He just kind of wakes up from a nap, peace be still, and it all calms down. It's a bizarre story. It's a fun story. I think if we were in Sunday school, we all heard that story over and over again. I always loved it. And we used to do this thing with even preschoolers. They would always get it. We would say, okay, and the waves are pounding in the wind, and we would all do this, and then we just, the teacher would say, peace be still, and the kids, you didn't have to instruct them. They all just need to be quiet. 
And it's a powerful image, but what is behind this story? And are there more echoes that reach back into the text that might tell us a little bit more about what is happening, why Jesus is taking a nap in the middle of the storm, and why they're terrified once he calms it down? They're terrified when the storm is going on, but they're still terrified after it gets calm and peaceful. What else is happening there? Well, as we look upon our text and we start taking a little bit of a glance, let me just give you a bit of historical background. So in the ancient Israelite mindset, the waters, the deep, was equivalent to the abyss, the pit of hell, for lack of a better word. It was the place, the underworld. In fact, the waters were often the entry into the underworld. And it was frightening to be out on the water. So the fishermen disciples and those in the boat are probably normally hanging right around the shore. They're not often going across the very deepest point of the waters. And then once in the middle of the deepest waters, also on their way to the Decapolis, the Gentiles, like the scary people, we don't really know them very well, have the storm kick up. Several years ago, we were leading a tour in Israel in springtime, and the storm did kick up right when we were at the Sea of Galilee. And my mom had this, um, my mom was traveling with us on that tour, and she had this long uh, rain poncho on, right? And we had told everyone to be prepared for the rain. And between leaving the dock and heading to the boat, we were getting on the boat while it was starting to kick up. The poncho spun all the way around on her because of the wind, and she now has the hood directly, you know, like in front of her face, and she's kind of, and I'm grabbing her hand and trying to get her through the dock and trying to spin that poncho back around so she can see clearly. These storms that kick up suddenly on the Sea of Galilee can be very frightening and quite ferocious, and if you've ever had a, an image or an inkling of that, it's cr incredibly powerful. And in the ancient Israelite mindset, it's like the gods must be angry, right? Even the Israelites, who are worshiping God and God alone, hopefully, that's not really the story. If you read through your Bible, they have a lot of left and right turns like all of us. U-turns, total full stops. But as they're supposed to be worshiping God of everything, they still have in their culture all around them that you have gods of thunder and gods of lightning and power, like Baal, who casts his wonderful lightning bolts down to the face of the earth, and we get to see the Asherah poles rise up with their fertility symbols afterwards. All of this being explained by the nature around. This doesn't surprise us. If you stop to think about it, this is how nature, this is how cultures work, right? We try to explain the things that are inexplicable. They didn't have the weather channel yet. Um, they didn't have those 24-hour you know, news cycle coverages explaining everything that was going forward. And they had to explain the events around them. Have you ever been in a storm where it's frightened you? Anyone? Yeah? As an adult? Yes, right? It's still scary. Not just when you're a kid and you hear the boom and you're hiding under the covers, but even as an adult, those things can still be very frightening. And I recall sitting in different places throughout my life where I'm like, yeah, just the power of that kind of makes me stop for a second and want to pray, right? Just a little bit freaked out. It's the beginning of a great novel. It was a dark and stormy night. Like immediately you know that somebody's freaked out and hiding in an attic under the covers, right? Particularly if you've read Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Ingle, and if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's how the book starts. So in the midst of that kind of chaos we see that Jesus is taking a nap. 
And we are recognizing that the chaos of the waters and the chaos of the storm, that Jesus is modeling us in the middle of that, how about just nap? Is that the most counterintuitive thing you've ever heard in your life? We would be like, batten down the hatches, board up the windows, make sure you took that swimming lesson that you didn't take already. Like, you know, what recall, you know, do the crawl. Like, you're trying to think about all the things. Wait, which way was the shore? How do I get back? I mean, all of the things you're trying to do. And Jesus is resting. But I think his model for us at this point is fantastic. That when we are in those storms of life, if you take the larger metaphor for a minute, when you're not sure who's in charge, when you're freaked out, when you're worried about your safety, when you're worried about what's going to happen next, take a beat, rest. Just take a beat and rest. What would the benefit of that be? When you're in the midst of the worst things, the worst storms that you've been in your life, when you're frustrated at, like, let's say, even the storms of this last week's event, between the grand jury lack of indictments, and you and you're me, and I'm just stuck to Twitter and Facebook because I'm just so frustrated, and I don't know where Jesus is in the midst of this, and I don't know where justice is in the midst of it, and I want to do more, and I feel like I can't pull myself away from the Twitter feed because I need to know more of what's happening in the news and all of that, but what if in the midst of that storm, I take a beat and I rest? What are the things that I can remember in that moment? Well, I can remember who's God, who God is, and that I'm not at all in charge. That there's something to be found in the midst of that rest, a peace that I can't find any other way. It's completely counterintuitive. When we're in the midst of the storms, we want to get busier, we want to work harder, we want to try to figure out, and there's a time for that, but there's also a time to just take a beat and rest. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus does this is because he knows maybe what's coming next. Right after they crossed, the text says this, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, or Gadarenes, and it's this area of the Decapolis where the Gentiles are, the cast-out ones. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him, which is such a crazy phrase. Oh, Jesus is here, let me welcome. Like, I'm in the tombs, and I have an impure spirit. I'm going to go out and greet him, meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs, in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So this man is in a place of death, of nakedness, and he comes and he runs down to greet Jesus. Hey, what's up? You like the, yeah. Hey, here I am, and the chains can't bind me. They've not worked anymore, and I run around, and this, oh, railing and crying out amidst these tombs. And now when this man sees Jesus from a distance, he runs and falls on his knees in front of him, and he shouts at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. And at this point, Jesus is probably thinking, I'm glad I got that nap. (laughs) This is a little weird. I'm glad I'm rested and prepared for this experience. 
For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. This is like the name of the Roman troops, the Roman armies. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them, and he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So here again, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. Okay, go ahead, do you like this little, uh, there, go, there they go, legion. And there's the pigs getting, you know, poor sad pigs. Um, but, you know, they're unclean. They're not kosher, so it doesn't really matter. And then uh, everyone watches this happen, and the pigs <laughs> go and uh, drown themselves off into the abyss. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. Now, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Notice again this interesting parallel to the story, right? You would think fear comes when the man has the demons, but fear also is coming and striking them now that he's been set free. There's some power, something has occurred that's freaking everybody out. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and he told about the pigs as well, and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Get out of here, Jesus. It's too crazy what just happened. We're terrified by this. Now, in this area where Jesus is, he's sought rest just before because he doesn't maybe know what's coming or maybe he's encouraging us to seek rest. We don't know what's coming because he's leaving the area of the Sermon on the Mount. He's leaving the area of the Jewish followers He's leaving the area of synagogue, and he's crossing this huge abyss in front of him, this big body of water, and he's heading to the Decapolis, to the region of the legion, of the Roman army, to the area where the legion symbol on the coins was a pig. And he's going to this other place where there's powers and where there's concerns about who is in charge and who is God and Caesar is claiming to be God. And Jesus leaves this modest area in Capernaum where there's wonderful synagogue and education, but people live simply and he finds houses and developments like this up in the Decapolis. Impressive and incredible, this land of Gentile. And in between this event, storm, rest, Peace be still. Crazy chaos of the life of this man. The casting out of a demon into the abyss. Again, control over the waters. And then somebody being set to right. What are the pictures that start to come forward for you as you start to think about the power of these miracles, of this moment in Jesus' ministry? And if you're one of the disciples, you're definitely going to tweet about this, right? Like, this is, you're definitely telling people what you just saw. Jesus is clearly demonstrating in the midst of all of this chaos, the chaos of the storm, the chaos of this Gentile world, of these false gods, of impure spirits, of demonic possession. In the midst of all of this, he is clearly saying that he is God and he's got this. He's on it. He's over and above the powers and the principalities. 
that are coming into not just his life, but the life of the disciples around him. Now, if we start to think about this a little bit, I think there's another thing that Jesus' little nap, his little rest, lets us know. Rest often provides clarity of call. In Jesus' ministry, and he'll say this, I am called to the Jews. But in the midst of this travel, he has this nap, he has this amazing moment where he says, peace be still, the waters are calm, and then he lands in this area of Gentile, and now he knows, perhaps, that his mission is not just to the Jew only, but it is also an and to the Gentile. It's to the Jew and the Gentile, both. And this reminds me a little bit of Jonah. So let's look up in the book of Jonah very briefly. If you don't have it, I'm going to read it to you. And I'm just do a quick summary. We won't read the whole book, although it's short and you should read it. It's fantastic. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now Jonah has this prophetic call where God says, you have to go to the Gentiles, the worst Gentiles you can think of. The Ninevites, they're the Assyrians. They will impale the heads of the Jewish people and march them around their fortresses. They will do the most horrific, horrible things. We have it all on the relief maps. And God says to Jonah, go there. And Jonah's like, I'm against this idea and I'm going to say no. So instead, he runs away from the Lord, and he goes down to Tarshish and down into the boat shipyard, and he goes down into the bottom of a boat, and they're sailing. Then verse 4, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a sleep. Now Jonah, now the storm's already started, and Jonah decides to take a nap. And this reminds me that rest often demonstrates, demonstrates faith. We're in the midst of these storms, right? When Jesus is in the midst of the storm, he's able to sleep because he knows who has it in his hands. And when Jonah is in the midst of this storm, somehow he's demonstrating a little bit of faith. Either he's just running away, he's already told them what's happening, the storm's already started, but he's going to go to sleep. Or maybe he's just resigned to the fact that he'd be happy to die rather than have to go and speak to the Gentiles, which is distinctly possible. But perhaps he's also remembering that ultimately God is the only one who calms these storms. Because Jonah does this. The captain goes down to Jonah and says, how can you sleep? Literally in the Hebrew, it's, what is it with your sleeping? It's a great line. Like, what is it with your sleeping? Get up, call on your God, maybe he'll take notice of us and we'll not perish. And the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where are you from? What's your country? What people are you? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens. And note this, Jonah says, who made the sea and the land. And they're terrified, and they ask him, what have you done? Like, what is it with you again? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so, which is hilarious. Like, that just comes up in common conversation. Like, hey, can I get a ticket on your boat? Because I'm just running away from God. We'd be like, sure, absolutely. Here's your fare. Like, no, don't get on my boat. (laughs) The sea was already getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me in the sea, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, they row harder and harder, but it doesn't work. 
So eventually they say, O oh Lord, and they pray to the actual God of Israel. They say the name of the Lord, Adonai. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, don't hold us accountable for taking this man's life, and in you go, Jonah. And immediately the sea becomes calm. Now Jonah's call is to go to the Gentiles. Where is Jesus going when he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side, to the Gentiles? And as the storm kicks up upon the waters, Jonah is sleeping. And he is not just a reluctant prophet. He's a disobedient prophet, right? He's not just like, well, I kind of don't want to. I mean, he is running the opposite way. But Jesus is not going the opposite way. In the midst of this storm, Jesus is pressing on and continuing to go to the other side, to the land of Gentiles. And if ever Israel was wondering, are we supposed to care about the Gentiles? Are we supposed to still have faith that there's a God in this world that's going to care about all of the chaos surrounding us, the chaos of this physical storm, the chaos of the Gentiles, the Romans who are coming here and who are in charge and who wield their power in abhorrent ways in our lives. If we were ever wondering if God is in charge of all of that, both the Jonah story and the Jesus story tell us that God is ultimately the one in charge of this storm. And he's got it. He's on it. And in the midst of that rest that Jonah takes, maybe he's avoiding the storm, maybe he's avoiding his guilt, maybe he's just decided to hide from it all, or maybe he has faith that God's got it. He naps, he gets tossed into the water. As Jesus is napping, demonstrating his deep faith, remember he'll say to the disciples, where's your faith? And then he stands up and he says, peace be still. And why are they exactly terrified right after that? Because Jesus has just shown them that he's God. Because God is the only one that calms the storms. Nowhere else in our text is ever a human being able to calm those storms. It is God himself, God alone, that does it. And I could read you psalm after psalm, but let's look just very specifically at Psalm 107. Listen to this verse. Does it sound similar? Others went out in the sea. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 23. Others went out on the sea in ships, and they were merchants on the mighty waters, and they saw the works of the Lord for his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up the tempest. And lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. And in their peril, their, in their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits end and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. Here's the verse ready. He stilled the storm to a whisper. And the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad when it grew calm. And he guided them to their desired heaven, haven. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Jesus is showing his disciples that he is God and that he's got this. And the reason why we can take a beat in the middle of our storm, the reason why we can rest in the middle of the chaos, the reason why we can take just a few moments to say, God, where are you? The reason why we can do all that is because ultimately we know that he is in charge of the storm. We aren't ancient Israelites. We understand how storms happen. But we're going to take a beat in the middle of our chaos, of our storm, and we're going to remember that God's got this. 
that he's in charge of this storm. And ultimately, that little break, that little rest can oftentimes clarify our call. Can it not? Has that ever happened to you? You're in the midst of the most stressful thing you've ever done, but then you go and you take a nap, and in the middle of your sleep, you wake up with the idea? Or years ago, I was, I was in college and somebody stole my watch. I know it's a silly thing, but it meant a lot to me, and I really like this watch. My grandmother had given it to me, and I couldn't find it, and I couldn't find it, and it was about a week later, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I remembered who had been in my room at exactly what time and when I had walked in, and I saw them in that area, and sure enough, after I contacted them, they confessed, and the watch came back. But I would never, I mean, I'd racked my brain, right? Did I lose it? Did I drop it behind something? Did somebody else? I mean, I'd done everything I could, but it wasn't until I took a good nap that I had clarity in the midst of that moment. Has that ever happened to you, where it's in the middle of your nap? Or have you ever been taking that good sleep, and in the middle of your sleep, you think, that's brilliant, I should write that down. <laughs> and you wake up in the morning, it's gone, right? And you're like, that would be a great movie idea. I could make millions, and then it's gone, right? <laughs> but there's some clarity that happens in the middle of our sleep, a clarity of call oftentimes. Not just that we're remembering that thing, but that in that middle, this is what Pastor Kevin was talking a little bit about, about last week, that we can often feel like we shouldn't stop. We should keep working in the middle of those storms. We feel guilty if we stop, but there's something about taking rest in the middle that reminds us who God is, who we are, that we cannot make that storm go away, but that he's got it, and maybe even a clarity of call. So Jonah is going to be that reluctant prophet. He's going to get vomited up by the big fish and ultimately go to Nineveh, which, by the way, he might be um, disobedient, but he's the most successful prophet in the entire Bible other than Jesus. Because all of Nineveh repents. That doesn't happen. I mean, Isaiah preaches, nobody's repenting. Jeremiah, people aren't repenting. Ezekiel, people aren't repenting. Ezekiel does a whole bunch of things to try to get people to get it. You know, he even has to eat poo, like at one point, I mean, he's really upset about it. He tries to do everything to get people's attention, and it doesn't work. Jonah, who's like, oh, okay, well, so you guys, yeah, you just probably should repent. And they're like, great, woo, we'll do it. <laughs> he's like, why am I the most successful prophet for the people I didn't want to see saved? I didn't want to see mercy visited upon them. Has that ever happened to you where in the midst of that rest, those feelings of anger and frustration and, and, and just disobedience to God's call or the thing you know you're supposed to do, somehow the rest calms those things down and you get a clarity of call in that next moment you take a beat. Jesus is showing us that unlike Jonah, he is going to continue to push forward into his call that like Jonah, when he arrives at the Gentile area, the people will be saved. The next chapters, as you continue, when Jesus goes back to the Decapolis, the other side, there's a crowd waiting for him. This man begs Jesus to go with him. Jesus says, no, stay here, tell your story. And he ends up becoming also a very successful prophet in that region of the Gentiles. Sometimes when we read these Bible stories, we think, oh, that's interesting. Jesus said, peace be still. What a nice little miracle. How fun. The disciples are afraid and terrified because they've just realized that they're with God. The people in the Gadarenes, the Gentiles who are there, they're afraid and terrified because they've just realized a power bigger than the one that they've known and that has cast those demons out into the abyss. In the midst of all of that chaos, in the midst of all of our storms, we can still take a beat. We can still trust that there's some rest to be found.
we have a really brief song, a meditative song um, that we're going to go through. In the middle of this moment, whatever storm you and I are in, whether it's what's happening in our nation, whether it's something that's happening in your home, in your own spiritual life, whether it's an illness that has taken hold in your family, in your household, whatever it is, we just want to give you a moment to pray this prayer. We also want to note that the storm is not likely to stop right away. Sometimes it does. Sometimes Jesus steps right in there and says, peace be still, and it stops. But sometimes the storms continue to rage, but Jesus is still modeling for us. We can take a beat. We can rest in the middle of the storm, trusting that he's got this. that you would speak those words into our lives and into our hearts. Peace be still. That in those moments of turmoil and frustration, worry and anxiety and deep grief, that we would hear you speak. Peace be still. That the storm might be raging all around us, but that we can still have a moment, a beat, a rest, enough to take a nap, to trust that you are in the storm and that you've got it, that you're under, over authority over all of that and that we are under your authority. So if we're storming and raging on the inside, Lord, speak to our hearts, peace be still and bring your shalom, your order and your hope and your love to our worlds and the world around us as we try to seek to bring more of your kingdom here on earth, more of your good news to the people that we love and we know and the people that are other on the other side. Jesus, may we go to all of them and bring some of your shalom. We ask for it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.